Welcome to the United Church Podcast. We're a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love and walking in the ways of Jesus. We're striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you're encouraged and challenged by this week's homily. May the peace of Christ be with you. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in a boat with the hired men and followed him. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean, the one who has flung herself out of the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand, who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else? should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? I've long been captured by that poem from Mary Oliver. Tell me, What else should I have done? A line that catches me off guard, inviting others into the critique of her life, asking after being caught up in the wonderment of this creation, in the ordinariness of the grasshopper, pondering the reality of prayer. Activities often associated with laziness or dreaminess, of being unproductive and aloof. Tell me, what else should I have done? For this Enneagram 3, it creates such an unbelievable tension. There is so much to be done, Mary, and yet you're watching a grasshopper chew sugar, noticing that it's chewing back and forth instead of up and down. I have lived with this ridiculous tension that there simply isn't enough time in life, which honestly was given voice to me by Lin-Manuel Miranda in Hamilton. Why do you live like you're always running out of time? 
And perhaps it's because my early life was marked by death. My grandfather dying when I was four, my grandmother in her early 50s, my uncle in his 30s. And I, I remember my father telling me time and again that he felt as if his life too would be short. Doesn't everything die at last? Mary Oliver continues. And too soon? Aren't we all simply running out of time? Beautiful questions existential questions that in many ways feel all too real for me in this season. Earlier this week, I participated in an interfaith memorial service for the over 400,000 people who have died from COVID. Statisticians are estimating that we'll top 500,000 in the next month. As I stood in front of the outdoor assembly, I read names of states and territories followed by the number of people lost. Ohio, 10,409 people. A chime would ring out as we stood in silence, remembering the lives lost. Oklahoma, 3,085 people. Oregon, 1,841 people. Each number heavier than the one before, each representing a state of deep loss and mourning. As my friend Rabbi Rachel reminded us in that gathering, each number representing a human life, a human being, a soul, an entire world an entire world. I'm not sure that I've allowed myself to feel the full depths of that loss, of what we have been so unwilling to acknowledge. We'd rather ignore our grief, push it aside, and move on like we're running out of time. Is it any wonder that we're so tired? Like, soul-tired. Ignoring grief, including our collective grief, makes our souls exhausted, weary. We live in a land that not only ignores grief, but refuses to believe in it. We move on, we buck up, we press forward immediately instead of working through it, dealing with it. Of course we're spiritually tired, of course we're weary. We are enduring such a moment, a collective grief that we continually fail to recognize. With each inevitable tick of the number upward, each one representing a human being, a life, a soul, an entire world. We are surrounded by this grief, and yet it goes unrecognized, unacknowledged, as we move on to the next thing like we're running out of time. This week, my friend lost his wife, awakened by an early morning phone call. She's gone, came the voice on the other side. Too soon, a human being, a life, a soul, an entire world. This 
life that we inhabit, inaugurated by our birth. This life that we have been given came from no choice of our own. It's it's a gift filled with possibility and opportunity, punctuated only by our death. And yet, as the grains of my life pass by, I sit and wonder in the same way that Mary Oliver did. What am I doing with this one wild and precious life? As life ends all around us, as we sit in the field of grief and insurmountable loss that grows by the day, as entire worlds crumble around me, around you, what am I doing with this one wild and precious life? What are you doing with your one wild and precious life? And these questions can become so overwhelming, you know? For some of us, these questions provoke shame. Am I doing enough? Am I creating enough change for others? Am I squeezing enough out of life, caught in an endless cycle of production? For others, it provokes paralysis. What, what should I do? Examining the possibilities from every angle, caught in a cycle of digging and asking and wondering and pondering, needing the answer to be perfect. For others, it provokes indifference. As we sit in the ordinariness of this life, wondering with shame and joy, possibility and paralysis, is it enough? Am I filling this life to the brim, or am I letting it ebb away? What am I doing with this one wild and precious life? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever sat in the existential crucible of life? And while we sit and wonder about this life, inaugurated by our birth, punctuated by our death, and filled with choices in between, Choices that dot the landscape of our life. God stands in front of us, inviting us, calling us into a life of fullness and joy, a life of, of meaning, a life that makes a difference, a life that creates, that helps. A life where I can choose love over hate, a life of hope, of creating and making peace amidst the turmoil that impedes this life. Follow me, he calls with an arm outstretched. What will you do with this one wild and precious life, he asks. And I can't not go. It's in this moment and in every subsequent moment that follows that I can't help but imagine that this must be how the disciples felt as they toiled away on their father's boat, throwing nets, pulling in fish, and an honorable occupation, helping to feed a nation, to provide. And I wonder, what was it that Jesus said that caused them to drop their nets, that emboldened them to walk away from their father in the family business? I've always wondered this. It's, it's only four verses, but certainly so much more happened in the story. Follow me, Jesus said. And immediately they dropped their nets and went. 
Surely there had been more. Surely they'd met each other on occasion. Surely they'd heard Jesus teach at some point this, this message of seize the day, this message of now was the time that the kingdom of God had come near, that hope had come. Surely they'd found themselves wrapped up in his message and the uniqueness of this call, a, a call that stood in stark contrast to the message of the day. Messages filled with conspiracy theories and anger, hatred and religious fervor mixed with nationalistic rage. And here's this Jesus showing them something different, something beautiful and life-giving, something filled with hope and promise and possibility, a different way of life filled with love and peace, patience kindness, goodness, gentleness, generosity, faithfulness, and self-control, a life wrapped in the Spirit of God. And they were intrigued, drawn to what this Jesus had been saying, offering, inviting people into the kingdom of God. And now, here he was with a personal invitation. Follow me. Now, let's not brush aside what this call entails. It was a special call, a unique call, a call to emulate him, to become like him, to conform themselves in his likeness, to do what he was doing. It was a call to repent, to turn their lives in a new direction and move towards a fullness that they didn't quite know or understand in that moment. What will you do with this one wild and precious life? Immediately, they dropped their nets to follow him. Immediately. In one moment, in a split second, they changed the course of their entire lives. With one swift and decisive act, they walked away from everything that they'd ever known to follow after and become more like this wild messiah. You know, I'm not even sure they knew he was the Messiah, the promised one of God. You have to wonder if they just thought he was a good teacher, that he had something beautiful and brilliant to say, that they could see coming to fruition in themselves, that they wanted to see happen in their own lives. I mean, Simon was married. Could you imagine going home? Honey, um, I've got some news. I quit the family business today to follow this guy named Jesus around the country. It's no big deal, but but I won't be home as much as usual, but, but it'll be totally worth it. You'll see, you'll see. Can you imagine that conversation? Can you imagine the look from his mother-in-law listening in on that conversation from the other room? Yikes. You can just feel the silent judgment pouring from the page. And just to foreshadow what happens here, in just a few short verses, Jesus will go to Simon's house and heal his mother-in-law from a sickness. <laughs> Feels like a little validating justice for Simon, right? A little, I told you so, moment. A moment where she too sees what he saw. A moment in which she too sees why he left everything for what he changed his life to pursue. And I don't know where you're at with this Jesus. 
but I do know that his offer stands for you too. It's an invitation, a, a personal invitation to follow him, to join in this mystical and beautiful life of possibility and transformation. A, a life where you get to play a role in making a difference in the lives of others. A life where a deep and abiding hope is central, where an all-consuming love is not only ever-present, but is our operating principle. This is the life that Jesus invited the disciples into with two simple words, follow me. And this is the life that Jesus invites us into, a beautiful life of renewal and restoration, a beautiful life that stands opposed to the narrative of our day, a narrative filled with conspiracy theories and anger, hatred and religious fervor mixed with a nationalistic rage. This is the life that Jesus invites us into. And so I ask you, what will you do with this one wild and precious life? Will you follow this Jesus, the, the Jesus of Scripture? 33 years ago, in a church basement, I said yes to Jesus' question. Follow me. I had no idea the journey it would take me on, no clue the wild and precious life that would be in store for me. I said yes to a life of growing in the ways of Jesus, of becoming more and more like Him, a life of growing in love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I know I know that I haven't been perfect in these ways, failing and falling, stumbling over my own two feet, but getting up each time and pressing on. And while I still maintain these same existential questions, feeling this perpetual ooze, am I running out of time? Am I doing enough with this one wild and precious life? I couldn't imagine a better life than this life of following Jesus, of pursuing Him and His ways. And so I want to invite you to come follow with me. Follow this one wild Messiah named Jesus with me. Intertwine your one wild and precious life with His and see where the road takes you for as long as it goes. What I love about this journey is that it's never alone. Which is why we say as a church, you'll never walk alone. And like following Jesus, we're not perfect at it. We fail, we mess up, we drop the ball and make mistakes. But, but in those moments, we get back up and we press forward together in pursuit, following after this Jesus together. And if you have some questions about this wild Messiah named Jesus, if, if you're wondering what it looks like, if you need a conversation partner, send me a text. Let's talk. Because here's the thing. You don't have to do this alone. You'll never walk alone. Together, may we continue to dive into the life of Jesus. May we continue to find ourselves shaped and formed more and more into his likeness. May we be a people, a community, a church, deeply formed in his ways, in the ways of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and generosity and faithfulness and self-control. May we look more like Jesus today than we did yesterday and more like Jesus tomorrow than we do today. Amen. Grace and peace be
Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us at 1316 Third Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.